Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. We are very excited to be joined by the ACC Network's number one running back, Roddy Jones. Roddy was a four-year starter at Georgia Tech from 2008 to 2011 and served as a team captain his senior year as a speedy slot back. Jones was a key figure in this Yellow Jackets high-powered rushing attack that broke numerous long-standing school records on the way to defeating Clemson little cry there from me. In 2009, in the ACC championship game, while on the flats, Jones set a Georgia Tech record for career starts at 52, while amassing the highest yards per carry average in Georgia Tech history, guys, at 7.6. He is forever etched in GT football lore for rushing for 212 yards in an upset win over arch rival Georgia in 2008. And Roddy has the stories about that one, guys. You're not going to want to miss it. The stories are great. And as I say in the pod, Roddy is too humble. This man is too humble. Look at these records he holds. He's a true legend on the field, but off the field, he's a pretty big deal as well. He's been with ESPN since 2017 when he got his start as a college football sideline reporter. He now calls ACC games for ACC Network and is the analyst for ESPN's Thursday night college football primetime game alongside Matt Barry. He's one of the brightest analysts in the game. He also just started a new podcast with Bryant McFadden called The Breakdown. You talk about brightest analysts, it shines in this interview, KG. You guys are going to love it. It's time to talk to our guy. Let's go. Roddy Jones, welcome to the show. Man, we have so much to get in with you today. ACC football is just crazy this season. But first, I want to start with your career at Georgia Tech. You're an Atlanta guy. Was it just kind of already written that you were going to Georgia Tech? How'd you end up going there? Well, first off, I, I feel like I should say first time, long time, um, because <laughs> you guys do a great job. Listen all the time. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, the the second, you know, growing up in Atlanta, Emac, like there's, <laughs> I, I try and explain to people just how much SEC football dominates this area. Uh, and and obviously the University of Georgia is the biggest. It's the biggest thing um, here in the in the Metro Atlanta area in the state of Georgia until you get way down south or way southwest when you get down towards towards Auburn. But so so growing up, like everybody who I was around, all my youth football coaches, uh, my high school coaches, like they were all SEC fans, and all of them, with the exception of two, were Georgia fans, and the other two were Florida and Tennessee fans. So there were very few tech fans that I ran up against. The first college football game I ever went to was uh, was Georgia Arkansas when Darren McFadden was a true freshman. He ran for like two fifty and they got blasted. And so, to be honest with you, you go to Sanford Stadium where there's ninety thousand people and you're like, this is like I want this. And so, so when I was like eight or nine years old, I was you know I, I wouldn't say I was a Georgia fan, but I always thought of myself as going and playing in Sanford Stadium. Now I didn't know it was going to be as an opposing, as a member of an opposing team. Uh, but, but you know how, like once recruiting started, you kind of clear all that out and you're like, all right, where's the best place for me? And ultimately when I got on campus at Georgia tech, and by that time I'd been to a tech game or two, when I got on campus at Georgia tech and started to talk to the players, uh, coach Jeff Collins was the director of player personnel down there. And he's selling the hell out of it, as you can imagine. But you talk to the players and I was, I really felt like those guys were the most like me, like, in terms of their their 
their attitude towards ball in terms of where they kind of fit from a from a player standpoint like I was you know I was a, a guy that was recruited but but I was gonna have to work my tail off as a five foot nine 190 pound running back coming out of high school and I felt like those guys like it kind of felt like a place that was going to help me do that uh, and then obviously from an academic standpoint I was a I was a someone who cared about academics um, and not to say that other places didn't but I felt like the players at other places may not have taken it as seriously as I wanted to. So, so uh, that's kind of how it developed at Georgia Tech. And so I ended up going 30 minutes from my, uh, from my house to go to college. That's really well said, Roddy. And yeah, you don't need to be humble. You have your MBA. You were a big time student. And so that obviously paid off going to Georgia Tech. I want you to be honest with me here. Paul Johnson's triple option offense. That's what you were a part of. <laughs> Give me the best part about running the triple option. And the worst part about running the triple option, Kelly. I was a I was a tailback in high school. Like I averaged my my junior year, I averaged like twenty eight carries a game. Uh, senior year, it was down a little bit because we were we were good, and so it was like twenty carries a game my senior year. But like I was touching the ball a lot. So I go to Georgia Tech and I get recruited under Chan Gailey, and I'm like, sweet, like I'm gonna be a tailback. I might split out to the slot, do some stuff in the slot. Um, and then, and then coach Johnson comes in and you're like, all right, what does this mean for me? So, so the, the best part about it, to be honest, was, was number one, the success that we had, like we were an incredibly successful team. We were a young team when he got there, uh, in the first two years that he was there, we had Jonathan Dwyer and Demarius Thomas and Josh Nesbitt. Josh was there, uh, longer than that too, but, but all those guys together and Anthony Allen transferred in from Louisville. And so we just had a really good group that was really close and we spread the ball around like it was fun. I was one of the uh, we we called them a backs. I was a slot, um, and, and so it was fun to hit big plays down the field. Like that part was really fun. Uh, the worst part of it was you're a running back. You don't get the ball very much, you know. And in, in my uh, my freshman year, my career high in carries was 13. My entire college career, and it happened the the last regular season game of my freshman year. So as a running back, like I would, I just wasn't used to that. I told like 30 times a game almost in my junior year of high school. And then, uh, and then, and then there's the, you know, the blocking aspect of it was fine. It was different. It's different than I expected. You're going to have to block in any offense, but the amount of stuff that you did, um, was, was something that I think as a running back would have been hard for me to get over as a recruit. Um, but the success that we had was awesome. We won an ACC championship. I know I'm on with two Clemson, Clemson alums, but, but that was before Dabo had it rolling. Um, <laughs> but, but we beat Clemson twice in 09 to win the ACC championship in Dabo's first full season. Uh, I actually played in Dabo's first game as interim coach. That's right. Uh, that was against us as well. So, uh, so you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get to you know talk about success against premier programs very much because we struggled <laughs> against Virginia Tech, we struggled against Georgia, but we didn't struggle against Clemson. That's the only one. And uh, once Dabo got it rolling, they have struggled since. Let me just say that. Man, come on, man. Well, let's talk about some of those games that, man, you're most famous for. You just brought them both up. Uh, 2008 Georgia game. Uh, what the heck did that feel like? Because you just mentioned about how growing up, everybody around you is Georgia fans. You know, you, you wanted to be in Sanford Stadium, and now you're playing in it and just go berserk. Just, I mean, what, what happened that game? How, how did you have that kind of crazy success, 200-plus yards against Georgia? So um, it's a lot of things coming together at, at the same time, to be honest with you. And, and I, I talk about this a lot with my career, uh, both broadcasting and in college. 
So, so you'll appreciate this, Emac. Like Georgia decided that Jonathan Dwyer was not going to beat them, and we ran the triple option. Like we're going to take what you give us. So Jonathan Dwyer was not going to beat them that year. They were taking away the dive. They had two guys playing the pitch. They would scrape the middle linebacker over the top. To, I'm sorry, to play the quarterback. Scrape the middle linebacker over the top to play the quarterback. And the safety and run support was mostly a quarterback player. Uh, I'm sorry, the safety and run support was, was a pitch player, but, but you had the, the middle linebacker and the outside linebacker both playing quarterback. And so there's, there's now one guy on the pitch, and, and we had that schemed up to be able to, to be able to block it with a crack. You know, they're playing man on the outside, so we cracked the, the, uh, the safety with the wide receiver. Corner falls in, and then the pitch is wide open if you can get it there. That so so from a scheme standpoint, like they were dictating that you got the ball pitched, and then we had injuries, so we were really thin at that slot position. My freshman year, Coach Johnson's first year there, uh, it was me and a couple other guys that were true freshmen. I was a redshirt freshman that were true freshmen that were true slots, and we had a basically a glorified fullback, Lucas Cox, whose brother Mike played in the NFL at fullback for a long time. Uh, he was our other slot. So the other two freshmen, uh, the two guys that were younger than me, Embry Peoples and Marcus Wright, both got banged up. Embry the week before, Marcus during the game. And so really, I was the only like fast slot that we had left. So I was backside on all the pitches. And because of the way they were playing, Coach Johnson schemed it up right. Um, but it was incredible. It was a little surreal, to be honest with you. Like I was too young to really appreciate it because I thought this is how it's <laughs> going to be every year. You know, this is the first time I played Georgia every year is, you know, a bunch of carries, a bunch of yards and, and, and we win. Um, and it ended up being the only time in my career that we beat Georgia. But it was it was an awesome it was an awesome experience. It was an awesome day. Georgia Tech fans still bring it up to me all the time. So so it's it's cool to have that sort of place in the hearts and minds of Tech fans. But uh, I wish we could have gotten one of the one of the games the next couple of years because those those honestly i remember those more than i do the one that we won <laughs> of course we, we all do we always remember the, the bad things instead of the the great ones but at least you got one and, and then another one that you got that you brought up 2009 acc championship versus clemson you guys just had their number i mean walk us through you know that that game that final game in the acc championship so, so the thing that you should know about that ACC championship game is uh, we won the game and CJ Spiller was the MVP of the game. So wild. Like, just wanna, wild. Just that wanna, is so just rare. Wanna, like, that is so rare. I when just want to make it clear that the best player on the field that day, and it wasn't close, played for Clemson. That dude was incredible that day. I, I also have a claim to fame from that game that involves CJ Spiller. Go back and look at the box score. I tackled him once. <laughs> Running down on kickoff team. It's me and CJ Spiller in the hole. So I come through and I'm like, all right, it's me and CJ. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna end up on ESPN. I'm just gonna take my <laughs> shot. I'm gonna go for his hip. I know he's gonna make a move, but I am not. Uh, it's not gonna be one of those where I get shook in the hole. So I go for it. I dive at him and I like scrape his leg barely. Like I'm talking about a graze of his leg. He hits the blocker next to him. The 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 uh, one of the up, one of the upbacks that's blocking for him. He hits him, stumbles a little bit, slowly grazes his knee on the ground, and they blow him yes. down. And because I touched him last, that a boy, that a boy. But but to be honest, like that was it was an incredible game. Um, we had played them earlier in the year. We had to throw. We we faked a field goal. They uh, we we had a Demarius Thomas running off the field with the offense. He like doesn't really leave the field. Comes back on. We throw a touchdown to him. Dabo's going crazy. He's like, you can't do that. And technically, we could, but they changed the rules so that you couldn't the next year. Uh, so, but but it took that to beat him in a close game. 
we hit the first play for a touchdown. We had all the momentum early, and then we just survived later on. So we knew it was going to be a battle going in the ACC championship game. Um, you know, we were able to have some success on the perimeter early. I had some success. Anthony Allen had some success. I also dropped a touchdown pass, which we won't talk about. But ultimately, when you got down to the end, it was really cool because it, the the players that needed to make plays made plays. I mean, it was stars. When we needed a play, it was Jonathan Dwyer. When Clemson needed a play, it was C.J. Spiller. And then we get back on defense trying to seal the game away, and it's Derek Morgan, who was a first-round pick of the Tennessee Titans, that comes up with a game-winning sack. It was just one of those games that was a heavyweight fight. And, and I, I you know, try and tell people all the time, like, the difference between that team in 08 and 09 was substantial. The 09 team was mature, and you could tell that they believed in what they were doing there. With Dabo, 10 was a little bit of a dip. We played that team too, had some talent, but then we saw the team in 11, and that's when you really felt from an opposition standpoint, from an opposing team standpoint, like they got something rolling here because they did not play well against us down in Atlanta. We ended up winning the game on a miscommunication between Taj Boyd and and I think it was Sammy Watkins. Maybe it was Nuke Hopkins. Taj throws a fade. Uh, Nuke runs a little stop. We ended up picking them off in the end zone and, and winning the game. But that was a game where Sammy Watkins went off. Taj had a great game. And then you saw the defense, just the talent. They always had talent, big dudes on defense. Uh, so so that was when I really knew, like, this is going to be a problem down the line. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we got to see it up close and personal, sort of the build to it towards the EMAC era of, of when, it, <laughs> when it really got rolling. The EMAC era. I think I that's that. how that, everybody that's should how call most it. Clemson yeah, fans I, I agree. refer to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think so, It too. wasn't we the Taj that era. That's it right. It was the EMAC era. Duh. <laughs> Roddy, okay, as I say, I say this to a lot of our guests back. I don't know what our guests' issues is. They're too humble. They're too humble. I don't like it. Roddy, you were a, a rock star, 212 in Sanford Stadium. There are very few humans that have ever done that. So I'm just going to say my piece there. But a lot of athletes deal with this. Mac and I dealt with this. When you're done playing, what's next? I know you got your MBA, so maybe you were considering some other things. You've been in broadcasting from what I was looking like 2015. So what was that process for you, Roddy, to figure out what you wanted to do? Uh, so I really fought what what I ended up in. Um, I, I initially coming into Georgia Tech, I wanted to be an athletic director, and then I wanted to be a general manager in the NFL. Like I wanted to be in sports, and we went through like the 08 downturn, and I saw the decisions that Dan Radakovich was the athletic director at Georgia Tech at the time. I saw the decisions that he had to make, and you know financially we weren't in a great spot, so he's having to make decisions to cut sports and fire people. And I'm like, man, I don't know, I don't know if I want to go down that route. So let me look elsewhere. And then when I got done, there was sort of a sense in me that I wanted to prove that I could do something outside of sports. And so I went to work. Uh, I worked for, let's see, I worked at AT&T in a retail store. I worked selling carpet, commercial carpet. Um, I worked at AT&T for, for two years. I worked to, at Interface, the carpet company, for four years. But all of that time, I was doing some broadcasting stuff and and. Uh, Wes Durham actually got me into it, who's now my partner on on Saturdays. Um, when I was interning after I got done, Wes said, hey, hey, why don't you come and do a pregame spot with me and see how you like it? He's like, I think you like it. I, you know, who knows if you'll be good or not, but but let's just see. So we did a little 15 minute spot that entire season, that first season I got done. And it was a ton of fun. And, and so then because I was around Georgia Tech, just started to look for opportunities 
to do different stuff. And, and I, I played a year of baseball at Georgia Tech, so I jumped on with the radio crew uh, doing Georgia Tech baseball games, like driving up to Wake Forest to do a game up there. And honestly, I was living at home at the time. It was so I could get out of the house. Like, I didn't want to be in the house. And so Bye, I was Mom. like going to do <laughs> – exactly seriously like i am looking for any reason to leave and she's like don't get in trouble i'm like I, i'm a grown man i'll get in trouble if i want but but i'm going Be home to by this. 11. <laughs> exactly so so that's how it started and, and then again it's sort of being it's 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 obviously putting yourself in a position but then there's a lot of right place right time uh, espn renegotiated their contract with the acc um that was sort of the precursor to the contract that that launched the network uh, and with that, they had to put more stuff on digital. And Georgia Tech had the infrastructure to be able to do it. So they needed people to do the Georgia Tech baseball games. Um, so in the spring of 2014, spring of 20, yeah, spring of 2014, I started to do Georgia Tech baseball and softball on digital. What's now the Watch ESPN app, then it was ESPN3 or whatever. Um, and so I did that and just enjoyed it. And it was paying me a little extra money and had a good time. Um, and, and then the, the, the job on the Georgia tech radio broadcast for football opened up and because I had done pro day and spring game, I, I, uh, I was considered for that and ended up getting it next to Brandon Gordon, who's now the voice of Madden had a great time doing that. And then that led to me, uh, led, led to me getting to Raycom in 2015. Like you said, Kelly, right. I did two years with Raycom covering the league, jumped to ESPN and, and, uh, and have been here ever since. And so uh, I, I, I fought it for a long time, but I always enjoyed sports and once I got a taste of football doing Georgia Tech radio with football, that's when I really was like, all right, if this, I don't think this can go anywhere because that was the best job I've ever had in broadcasting because they were great that year. They were, you know, 10 win team. It was ups and downs. Orange Bowl and like, year, right? Orange Bowl yeah. year. Yep. Yep. Beat Mississippi State in the Orange Bowl. Like it was just an awesome, awesome ride. Uh, and you get to root for your crew the whole time. Like I am embedded in the team and you're rooting for them and you're pulling for them. And so it was fantastic. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'll just do this. And then when I got the opportunity to move to TV, um, you know, one of my buddies and, and, and uh, Brandon Gordon as well, were both like, look, you get a chance to go to TV. You have to, you have to do that. So, um, but once I got a taste of that, I knew like, all right, if I can make this a thing, then, then, then we'll go do that. What was the what was the ESPN call like? It's super fun to talk to different analysts and, and former players that we have on here and, and just to hear their story. Was yours just a, hey, you're already doing this. You want to come over to our team or, or was it more in depth than that? Yeah, so mine was, um, I actually was with Raycom for 2016, 27, no, 2015, 2016. And then it was the, the, there was the announcement that the ACC network was going to launch in 19. And so I was covering the ACC with Raycom and thought, all right, if there's any time to sort of get in like, hey, like I'm an ACC guy, you're going to need them down the line. Maybe this is it. Um, and so I got in, I got in contact with an agent. Re, re, we reached out to ESPN. Then there was the interview process with all the you know usual suspects. Um, and, uh, and then they ended up giving me the job where I spent two years on the sidelines with Anish Shroff and Ahmad Brooks. Uh, which was fantastic. We got to go all over the country, but, but mine was again, sort of a right place, right time. Like I'd done two years of ACC work. I was on the sideline as a field analyst, uh, which was something that they were kind of looking for and kind of needed. And the network was launching in a couple of years. So I think it was sort of a, a right place, right time for everybody deal. But, uh, but it was, uh, it was certainly surreal. And they were like, Hey, do you want to come work for ESPN? I'm like, wait, what? Really? <laughs> I didn't, didn't. I didn't. I didn't actually think that was going to happen. But, uh, but it's been great, man. 
All right, Roddy, let's move to on the field. And in this current ACC season, I've got a couple of questions about this, but I want to just start here. What the heck is happening? Why are we seeing the league pretty much flip upside down right now? Uh, well, honestly, it's it's I'm not sure it's all that different than what we get on a year in year out basis. Just without Clemson at the top, like if Clemson was if Clemson was undefeated at this point, we would just think it was a normal season going on. And like the North Carolina storyline would be whatever the Miami storyline would be, whatever the Pitt storyline. People would be like, oh, they can't really win the league because Clemson. So I'm not sure it's like it's all that different. And I had a conversation with somebody a couple of years ago that he was not the biggest fan of the ACC, not a hater. But he was like, you know, the ACC is a Clemson away from being the Pac-12. And he's kind of been right like about about this year, at least. So so from that perspective, I think I think that's where the league is. You just don't have Clemson to kind of blanket everything. I will say, however, I think we have seen in a couple of instances how much coaching matters, how much continuity matters and how much an established culture matters, because as much praise as we heaped on North Carolina in the preseason, I've got some questions about about them being able to handle success, which I think are very valid. But but where does that come from? And that leads to the building and the culture there. And is it a place that is that is prepared itself to handle success that quite honestly, they haven't really had. So so from that standpoint, I, I think that that you look at a place like Wake Forest that has built on 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 a solid foundation and kind of been grinding for a number of years to the point where they can have the motto good to great as like their season mantra like hey we are going to be great this year we have been good in the past and i think that shows a maturity of program i think you look at a team like Pitt and western michigan aside you look at what that team has been able to do especially offensively with a quarterback who's mature and a and a and a coordinator who's steady and you know, they kind of know who they are uh, offensively and it runs through Kenny Pickett. And so you look at those teams and I think it really shows you that Virginia even, who has, you know, <laughs> been living right the last couple of weeks. But but again, from a culture standpoint, like that's a place that doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. When they needed to survive the Miami game, they did it, forced a field goal. Maybe, you know, maybe didn't force a field goal, but had a field goal against them that, that didn't, that didn't somebody go in. Somebody forced the field uh, goal. We're not going to say then, who, but somebody forced it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. Uh, and then the Louisville game where they have to storm back, they're able to do that um, and, and eventually win that game on another, you know, fortunate kick. But sometimes you got to put yourself in position to have fortune go for you. So I, I think I think all in all, that's what's going on. with It's going to be fascinating from here on out because there's teams in the league that are that from a record standpoint, are bad that I wouldn't want to play right now. And then there's teams in the league that coming into the season, we thought were going to be really good that I would pick to play over some of these bad teams. So so I think it's just a really interesting year. It really is. And, and it's going to be chaotic, which we always see from at least one side. Now we're seeing it creep into the Atlantic. Uh, I, you love to see it, honestly, because you just don't know any given Saturday what the heck is going to happen. All right, I've got two questions here for you. Give me your most disappointing team, which I think you could go a couple of ways with that one, and then your your surprise team in the league this year. I'll go miss this most disappointing first, and it's got to be North Carolina. I, I mean, like, I did not think North Carolina was going to be a top ten team at the end of the season. Um, I thought Pitt would be a better team than North Carolina this year, just because I thought they would start faster. I, I didn't really know where North Carolina was going to be starting wise. 
but I think the ways that North Carolina has disappointed have been the biggest reason that they are the answer. Because to be honest with you, from a skill position standpoint, the performances that we're getting from the skill positions are not unexpected. Like replacing the guys that they lost it was going to be tough no matter what. But from an offensive line standpoint, that's dis- the, the performances that they put out there have been disappointing. From an overall, uh, from an overall discipline standpoint, like they look like an undisciplined team on both sides of the football. And then defensively, I thought they would be better. I just to be quite honest, with all the returners that they had coming back, so so I, I thought they would be better from that standpoint. So North Carolina to me has to be the most disappointing. And uh, what was the other question? M- biggest surprise. Positive. Surprising. Surprise. It can be a good surprise or bad surprise. You can go negative twice. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be too (laughs) negative. I think the good surprise, um, to be honest, I'll go with, I guess I have to go with Wake Forest because they're still undefeated. Uh, And and not that I didn't think they would be really good. Um, I would love to say Pitt, but you've got a disappointing loss to Western Michigan. I would love to say NC State, but you should have beat the worst team in the SEC West on the road and you didn't. So, so like the positive there comes with some negative, but Wake Forest is the one that has gotten out. Like when they played not great, they faced a team that, that they, that they struggled with stylistically, they got out with the win. So Wake Forest would be the surprise there. Um, other than that, like the, I would say Syracuse from the way that they played have been surprising in a positive way. They don't necessarily have the wins to show for it, but Syracuse, you can make a very strong argument should be five and one if for some better coaching decisions. You bring up Wake Forest. They're still undefeated. They're not getting as much respect in the polls. They squeak by in a game that we called spooky up in the Carrier Dome. We also, I believe Clemson going up there is very spooky. I think Syracuse is just playing with a whole new um, like sense of who they are. And just they just look like a completely different team. But let's start with Wake here. I think I know the answer, but I still got to ask it. Is Wake going to finish undefeated? And if they don't, who are they going to lose to? No, I don't think Wake finishes undefeated. I, I don't. I, I just. It's a like very they, tough thing to do. Mac knows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I never went undefeated. We lost. <laughs> Look, so, so, so we'll go. Here's the thing though. Like we, you, when you are a team that is sort of like Wake and like, I feel like we kind of were that no nine. We dropped an early game uh, to Miami, which we shouldn't have lost. We just couldn't win at Miami. And then later on, we're, 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 we're a one-loss team going into the Georgia game at the end of the year. This is a Georgia team that was fighting for bowl eligibility, needed to beat us to get to a bowl. They ran for like three, 350 yards against us. We didn't see the ball, and, and they beat us. It's the only time in my career that we were a better football team than, than the University of Georgia. And the reason I bring that statement up or that story up is because sometimes you just have a game where you don't necessarily play well in one aspect that they're able to exploit. And I thought it could have been last week against Syracuse, but they end up scrap- scraping it out. So having to still play NC State, having to still play Clemson, and like who knows what we'll get from Clemson after the bye week. Maybe that offense improves to like average, and they're you know the best team in the league. What but, a world! What I a know. world that would be, dude. Like I mean, that, and that look that would be a big jump in a bye week to get to average. So uh, you know. It, I, with, with Wake Forest, I think they probably have a loss somewhere out there. Um, if I had to guess, like if you're going to put my feet to the fire, who's it going to be? I think it, I think you have to go with Clemson. They're still the most talented team in the league. And honestly, like I get that they're not in the top 25, but there's not 25 teams in the country that I'd rather 
play before Clemson, like, or, or that, 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 that I would pick to play before Clemson. Uh, I would, if, if you're going to offer me, who would you rather play X team or Clemson? Like I'm going to pick X team probably for all, but 10 other teams in the, in the country, just because of what they can bring defensively and the overall talent scares you. So that doesn't mean Wake can't win the division because if you get the right win and that would be a win over NC state, then, then certainly you still can win the division, but I don't think Wake goes undefeated. Yeah, I'm not mad at you for that. It's tough to do. It's very hard to do. And historically, we just, you know, clearly have never seen it from Wake. You know, they, they're so good in September, really good in October, and then November hits and injuries start creeping up. Their schedule gets really tough, which, by the way, this year is no exception. And uh, things kind of fall apart. But th- this team might be different. It- it'll be fun to keep watching. So we're going to go from one side of the, uh, you know, d- divisions here with the Coastal or the Atlantic to the Coastal looking at Pitt. I, I think this team is just super fun to watch. I think they're very good. I think it's really disappointing that they had that slip up because just how excited would we all be about Pitt right now? They're going to Virginia Tech, a wounded Virginia Tech team with probably one of the best offenses, for sure the best offense in the ACC in Pitt. What do you expect to see from that game? Uh, well, the the thing that I'll – the credit that I'll give Virginia Tech is they have played – hard and physically on defense for the entire season and that'll be a different style than Pitt's really seen Georgia Tech can be physical on defense but they're not there from a from an overall mature defensive standpoint to do it on a week in week out basis in the same way that I think Virginia Tech is the thing that benefits Pitt here is Virginia Tech's coming off of a war against against Notre Dame you and you mentioned the fact that they're banged up how effective can Braxton Burmeister be uh, with he banged up his shoulder, right? Was it? Yep, it was his, his shoulder, throwing shoulder it? too. Yeah. So I mean, like this is a dude that wasn't lighting the world on fire throwing the ball anyway. So how one dimensional does that make them? The thing that I want to see from Pitt, and then I expect to see, is them not giving up big plays because I don't think Virginia Tech can can consistently drive the ball down the field and score, which gives that offense a a a, a lot of bites at the apple to try and get points on the board. They're going to find Jordan Addison. They're going to find Lucas Kroll. Taysier Mack has played really well. Uh, we had their game against Georgia Tech. So all like those guys are are playing extremely well. So as I would expect Pitt to win this game fairly comfortably, I think the line's like nine, and and I think that's a little I think that's a little uh, generous for for Virginia Tech or or a little kind to Virginia Tech. Um, maybe because of how they played Notre Dame a week ago, but I think Pitt should roll in this game. Kenny Pickett's playing at an unreal level, and when you look at like Heisman Trophy candidates, it kind of started as a joke from Pat Narduzzi. But like, to be honest, to me, it's it's Kenneth Walker, it's Bijan Robinson. I guess you can say it's Bryce Young, although this dude just went to Texas A and M and threw an interception in the end zone that helped cost them the game. C.J. Stroud's playing better, but Kenny Pickett's in that conversation too. So uh, he, he's playing at an unreal level, and I expect that to continue. And maybe just Georgia as an entity. Like, can you give a Heisman yeah, Trophy to defense. a whole team? I guess that's what we have a national championship right. trophy for. Okay, Roddy, let's talk about another game that we think is very spooky. And any Clemson fans listening, you don't need to tell them this game is spooky, Clemson at Syracuse, because crazy things have happened up in that carrier dome. And Syracuse, I feel like Dino Baber's done a really good job of adapting to his personnel this year. They're run first. It's Sean Tucker. It's Garrett Schrader. Try to stop us. And they almost beat Wake Forest. They almost beat Florida State. They're very close. Are you putting Clemson on upset alert this, well, not weekend, it's a Friday night, which makes it even spookier. Are you putting Clemson on upset alert? 
if you if I had to pick the game, I'd pick Clemson. But I absolutely, I would say watch out because look, if Clemson could score, I would feel pretty. I'd feel okay about it. But the thing is, Syracuse is going to make this a short game. So Syracuse is going to run the football, and it's almost like playing a triple option team because it's going to be Sean Tucker, Sean Tucker, Garrett Schrader out the backfield, Sean Tucker, Sean Tucker, play action, take a shot downfield, Sean Tucker, Sean Tucker, let's dump it out to the flat and make you tackle in space. So so from that aspect, you have to be locked in. And then defensively, they run that 3-3-5, and there's a number of teams that do it in the league, but they are probably the most multiple out of it. Georgia Tech does some stuff that's that's fairly multiple. NC State's pretty stagnant in theirs, but but the what Syracuse does is they have the ability to make it look like a bunch of different stuff pre-snap, which can mess with a team. And, and when you look at, at, at Clemson offensively and what Georgia Tech in particular was able to do out of that 3-3-5, the different looks, mostly in the secondary that Georgia Tech will give, the activeness, the movement up front that Georgia Tech will give, that Georgia Tech gave Clemson, all of that stuff is stuff that that Syracuse will do. Now their different looks are going to be more in the front seven than in the secondary, but from uh, you haven't seen anything from Clemson's receivers to think, all right, the amount of man to man that they play with Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut, Clemson's going to dominate. Will Clemson win some? Sure. But I haven't seen enough to think they're going to dominate. Clemson running the football outside of the the couple of big runs from Kobe Pace and Phil Maffa still struggled against Boston College to run it consistently. So I would absolutely say Clemson should watch out because it it could get weird up there in the Carrier Dome. And then if you have one of those moments and you got to escape with you know DJ trying to trying to trying to win the game for you, how do you feel about that? And and I just don't know. DJ hasn't proved it to us this year. And I know Cuse is coming off of a loss, but Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker just have to be feeling good. I mean, those guys are clicking yeah. at an unprecedented level right now for, from at least what we've seen from the Syracuse team in the last couple of seasons. So they're they're feeling dangerous, as I like to say. All right, Roddy, last question for you as we let you get out of here. There, there have been so many predictions that have been absolutely wrong. There have been so many uh, awards, preseason awards given out that we just all have whiffed on. So it's midseason. I am allowing you to choose the player of the year right now if the season ended today. Who's it going to be? Kenny Pickett. It's Kenny Pickett. And look, and and that's and that is me. It was actually more painful than I made it sound because Sean Tucker is certainly in the in in the running for it uh, with what he's done offensively. Uh, but but again, Kenny Pickett, the way he's played, even in the loss to Western Michigan, four hundred yards, six touchdowns, uh, the demolition of Georgia Tech. He has looked consistently, and at, and at Tennessee, he has consistently looked like the quarterback that that you hoped you would see in his fifth year with a guy deciding to come back. Um, it's It felt like he came back for the right reasons. It felt like he came back with a clear head. It felt like when he came back, he trusted the guys that were going to be around them, and all of that has proven to be true. He has certainly boosted his draft stock. Uh, I don't know where it is now, but it is higher than it was on uh, on September 3rd before he took a snap against UMass. So so I think the player of the year right now is certainly Kenny Pickett. Come on, Roddy. I do not disagree with you. I don't think KG does either. Uh, thank you, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on with us. Uh, we'll have to get you back for some baseball and lacrosse analysis in the springtime. Let's go. Let's go. 
It is uh now look, we're we are we're piecing it together with duct tape when it comes to to baseball and lacrosse. Uh but yeah, we can we can cobble it together. Let's go. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's always fun to catch up. Roddy Jones, he he may be Mac. He may be the smartest analyst. Like if we all sat down and took the SAT over again or something, he may be the smartest of all the ACC network analysts, which makes sense because he went to Georgia Tech. But I loved his stories. Winning, I can't. Can you imagine the feeling of rushing for two hundred plus in Sanford Stadium and just quieting that crowd? Um, and then his thoughts. His thoughts on ACC football so far. Can the Deke stay undefeated? It's a big question. Is Clemson on upset alert? Perhaps. He, he was awesome, Mac. He, he really was. Absolutely brings it. Uh, was super grateful for his time and joining the podcast here with us. Just brought a lot of knowledge. And as you said, one of the smartest guys uh, that we have on this network and really just his perspective on things. It, it's super fun to hear. Uh, you mentioned that Georgia game. I, I mean, that would for me, that would be like going into uh, you know, Nayland Stadium, playing Tennessee and, and walking out with a huge dub. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine your childhood, you know, team or, or dream of playing for and then just absolutely running all over them. So Ronnie Jones just brought so much insight, so much fun stuff in this entire interview. Uh, but guys, you have to check him out everywhere that he is. He's just a bright spot for ESPN and a, a really fun guy to watch. But that's it for this episode. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.